Section 172 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 205. Bath, January 12, 1757. My dear friend, I waited quietly to see when either your leisure or your inclinations would allow you to honor me with a letter, and at last I received one this morning, very near a fortnight after you went from hence. You will say that you had no news to write me, and that probably may be true. But without news one has always something to say to those with whom one desires to have anything to do. Your observation is very just with regard to the King of Prussia, whom the most august House of Austria would most unquestionably have poisoned a century or two ago. But now that Terras Austria reliquit, kings and princes die of natural deaths. Even war is pusillanimously carried on in this degenerate age. Quarter is given, towns are taken, and the people spared. Even in a storm a woman can hardly hope for the benefit of a rape. Whereas, such was the humanity of former days, prisoners were killed by thousands in cold blood, and the generous victors spared neither man, woman, nor child. Heroic actions of this kind were performed at the taking of Magdeburg. The king of Prussia is certainly now in a situation that must soon decide his fate, and make him Caesar, or nothing. Notwithstanding the march of the Russians, his great danger in my mind lies westward. I have no notions of Afraxin's abilities, and I believe many a Prussian colonel would outgeneral him. But Brown, Piccolomini, Lucchese, and many other veteran officers in the Austrian troops are respectable enemies. Mr. Pitt seems to me to have almost as many enemies to encounter as his Prussian majesty. The late ministry and the Duke's party will, I presume, unite against him and his Tory friends, and then quarrel among themselves again. His best, if not his only chance of supporting himself would be, if he had credit enough in the city, to hinder the advancing of the money to any administration but his own, and I have met with some people here who think that he has. I have put off my journey from hence for a week, but no longer. I find I still gain some strength and some flesh here, and therefore I will not cut while the run is for me. By a letter which I received this morning from Lady Allen, I observe that you are extremely well with her, and it is well for you to be so, for she is an excellent and warm puff. Apropos, an expression which is commonly used to introduce whatever is unrelative to it, you should apply to some of Lord Holderness's people, for the perusal of Mr. Cope's letters. It would not be refused you, and the sooner you have them the better. I do not mean them as models for your manner of writing, but as outlines of the matter you are to write upon. If you have not read Hume's essays, read them. They are four very small volumes. I have just finished, and am extremely pleased with them. He thinks impartially, deep, often new, and in my mind commonly just. Adieu. Letter 206 Blackheath, September 17, 1757. My dear friend, Lord Holderness has been so kind as to communicate to me all the letters which he has received from you hitherto, dated the 15th, 19th, 23rd, and 26th August, and also a draft of that which he wrote to you on the ninth instant. I am very well pleased with all your letters, and what is better, I can tell you that the King is so too, and he said but three days ago, to Monsieur Munchausen, he, meaning you, sets out very well, and I like his letters, provided that, like most of my English ministers abroad, he does not grow idle hereafter. So that here is both praise to flatter and a hint to warn you. What Lord Holderness recommends to you, 
being by the king's order, intimates also a degree of approbation. For the blacker ink, and the larger character, show that his majesty, whose eyes are grown weaker, intends to read all your letters himself. Therefore, pray do not neglect to get the blackest ink you can, and to make your secretary enlarge his hand, though d'allure it is a very good one. Had I been to wish an advantageous situation for you, and a good debut in it, I could not have wished you either better than both have hitherto proved. The rest will depend entirely upon yourself, and I own I begin to have much better hopes than I had, for I know by my own experience that the more one works, the more willing one is to work. We are all more or less des animaux d'habitude. I remember very well that when I was in business I wrote four or five hours together every day, more willingly than I should now half an hour. And this is most certain, that when a man has applied himself to business half the day, the other half goes off the more cheerfully and agreeably. This I found so sensibly, when I was at The Hague, that I never tasted company so well, nor was so good company myself, as at the suppers of my post-days. I take Hamburg now to be le centre du refuge allemand. If you have any Hanover refugees among them, pray take care to be particularly attentive to them. How do you like your house? Is it a convenient one? Have the casseroles been employed in it yet? You will find les petites superfins less expensive, and turn to better account, than large dinners for great companies. I hope you have written to the Duke of Newcastle. I take it for granted that you have to all your brother ministers of the northern department. For God's sake be diligent, alert, active, and indefatigable in your business. You want nothing but labor and industry to be, one day, whatever you please, in your own way. We think and talk of nothing here but Brest, which is universally supposed to be the object of our great expedition. A great and important object it is. I suppose the affair must be brusque, or it will not do. If we succeed, it will make France put some water into its wine. As for my own private opinion, I rather wish than hope success. However, should our expedition fail, magnus tamen exidit osis, and that will be better than our late, languid method of making war. To mention a person to you, whom I am very indifferent about, I mean myself, I vegetate still just as I did when we parted, but I think I begin to be sensible of the autumn of the year, as well as of the autumn of my own life. I feel an internal awkwardness, which in about three weeks I shall carry with me to the bath, where I hope to get rid of it, as I did last year. The best cordial I could take would be to hear, from time to time, of your industry and diligence, for in that case I should consequently hear of your success. Remember your own motto, Nullum numen abes siset prudentia. Nothing is truer. Yours. End of section 172. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.